welcome to Sound Stories. I'm Stephanie Cicerelli. Today in studio, we have Jocelyn Rasmussen. She's here to talk a little bit about the wonderful voice that we have and the identity we find in it. So Jocelyn, welcome to the show. Thanks, Stephanie. It's wonderful to be here with you. Well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a singing teacher and coach now. I do executive voice coaching and teach singers. I started out as a pop and jazz singer, and then I sang classical music and opera. And uh, I had my share of illness and various things. And at one point, when I was recovering from thyroid disease, I started teaching. And I realized that singing had been the career I wanted as much as breathing, but that teaching was really my calling, and it would never be enough for me again to just have my own voice, that I wanted everybody to have their voice. Well, that's a beautiful thought. And I know you've gone through quite the personal journey there, too, with it. And and, uh, part of why you teach is because you do want to share that with others and to help them to discover who they are and also how they can heal through using their voice. Yes, and it's... It's been a great surprise to me and so exciting. And I'm thrilled that we're starting now to have the science, the ways of measuring these things, so that what we experience when we do voice work is now starting to be verified in experiments. And it's really exciting to me how much the voice can do to improve our physical energy levels, our mental clarity, our emotional balance, and the way we're able to relate with one another throughout our day. Absolutely. Now, something that we were talking about a bit earlier actually focused on authenticity. And in our business, you know, doing voiceovers and and helping other people to bring life to their scripts, we find that authenticity is a huge piece of what might set one artist apart from another and certainly to make one campaign perform better than another. So can you maybe share a bit about what authenticity means and how that comes across in the human voice? Yes, I think um, there are a lot of reasons why we try to sometimes disguise the way we're really feeling can be as simple as not wanting people to know how tired we are. Um, It could be uh, something more of an emotional nature. Uh, I talked with one gentleman in the book. He was a contractor who did really huge construction projects in New York City. And a client he had had before uh, gave the bid to a competitor, and he was very surprised. And uh, a mutual friend of theirs told him it was because the client thought he didn't have the energy to do the project. And he was really surprised by that. And as we were working in his session, I was helping him find ways to be physically more energized and present and so on. And what he told me was that he had just recently uh, separated from his wife, something he didn't want. And he thought he'd been doing a really good job of covering that up. But as we worked, he could see how that had been stealing his energy and that he needed to do some work around that so that he could show up at his job with his full energy and that people would believe he really had that. Now, that's a great story, Jocelyn, and it reminds me maybe of, of actors who maybe when they go to an audition and, and they're not quite bringing their best with them, that might come across in a different way than it would, say, on the job, but the feelings are very much the same. 
Absolutely. You can even have an actor who you've hired for other spots and who you really like and just find that on this particular day there's a certain sparkle missing. It might be because they have a cold and they took a bunch of medications <laughs> so that it doesn't show. Uh, it might be that they've had a big disappointment, a loss of another job, and they're just not quite finding that spark today for this because that disappointment is still with them. And it's not that they don't want the job or care about it, but some things just pull our energy down and they stay with us and they get carried into the next situation unless we have very strong techniques for shifting that energy. Someone would definitely have to teach everyone those because I, I know I have uh, not a clue on, on what that might be. Um, but just thinking again about when someone speaks to you, maybe it's a line they're reading or maybe you've asked them how they're doing or, or whatnot. And the way that we answer with our words might actually kind of be betrayed by our feelings or our emotions that might come through that. So this again is like you might be reading something from a script, but internally you're really not feeling it and it's coming across in a way that is not how the words would expect it to be. Right. And so there's a, um, there are just different frequencies in the sound and some of them will betray what we're thinking. Mm -hmm. Some of them will betray what we're feeling. And if what we're thinking doesn't agree with what we're feeling, there's going to be some sort of disconnect. We might not be able to name it, but we'll know it. And part of the reason we know it is because we have sound receptors in every cell of our skin. And so quite often, we won't say somebody sounds creepy, we'll say they feel creepy. Or we'll love the, the feeling that we get from someone's laughter. So we're feeling that sound in our body and it's resonating our bones and our organs and things. It's stimulating our brain. It is actually stimulating our brain and producing chemicals there that give us clues about what our authentic response is to whether or not they are being authentic. Oh, so you could be sitting in the room or maybe listening to an audition online, whatever the case might be, and when you're listening to someone or observing their performance, you're really thinking, you know, is this moving me? Do I believe them? Are they credible? Do I trust them with my message? So if you have a number of people who are really, really good and you have to make a choice, then how would you make that choice given some of them may, may not, I guess, have the same spark there? Like, is there a way to tell who should be booking a gig? In my own experience, I would go with what moves me. For me, when I'm really moved by something, I'll get full body chills, I'll get goosebumps, and it might not be the most polished performance, but if I know I'm going to get to rehearse and work with that person, if that natural ability to move me in that deep and powerful way is there, I would be more tempted to go with that than with the more finished product. Because even over the airwaves, over radio or television, I teach a lot of people over Skype, and I will still get the goosebumps and the hair standing on end over Skype or over the telephone. 
and I, I'm not seeing them. I'm not getting all of those other cues if I'm on the phone, but I will still feel it physically in my body, or my eyes will mist over, or my heart will be open. Sometimes when someone is really moving me, it'll remind me of a story in my own life that, that relates and draws my passion or my interest. So basically, I, I would go with the person who's engaging me, not the one who's impressing me with their techniques as much as the one who's engaging me. No, that's very interesting. I appreciate what you've said. It reminds me of the movie uh, Inside Out. Have you ever seen that from Pixar? No. Oh, they, basically, the, the main character, this little girl, she has all these feelings, like we all do, right? So, but anyway, you know, you've got anger, sadness, joy. Uh, I know I'm forgetting someone. <laughs> Forgive me. Go look at IMDb. Anyway, so we've got emotions is the bottom line. And these emotions kind of have a, a main role in the film because they're in her brain. And whenever something happens, Riley is going to feel joy. She's going to feel sadness. She's going to be angry. She's going to have some kind of a response. But um, when I was thinking about this movie before, and I know a lot of people love it, but, but it really speaks to kind of method acting, what I find. Because when you can actually draw on an experience that you've had, like what you said, like sometimes when you hear someone, it brings you back into something that you might have experienced that was similar. If an actor can go to that place where they have authenticity, they have this core memory, we, we can call it here, because I believe that's what they call them in the film. Um, but if you can access that, then you can actually take that memory, almost relive it, maybe not completely, but to such a degree that when someone else hears it, they have that connection, there's authenticity, they feel like this is coming from somewhere. This is not just a cerebral experience. Right. The brain doesn't know the difference between a memory, a projection, and what's really happening. So as actors, we read a script and we understand the emotion that is being called for, then we go into our own biography, our own story, and we find a feeling that matches that. And we relive it, and that animates the script. And if somebody understands the script and layers on the approximation of what so I'm going to sound angry or I'm going to sound warm or I'm going to sound excited but if they haven't tapped into the essential part of themselves that truly animates it it just won't get us in the same way mm -hmm. it's almost like a shell of that feeling or experience it's like they're they're paying lip service maybe to the script they're just reading it it means nothing in a certain way so uh, I know with our talent, what we always tell them to do is, you know, when you're evaluating an opportunity, don't just look at it for whether or not you are a technical match for this. Like you can speak the language, you're the, the right gender that is being called for the role. Maybe you can do that accent, whatever it might be. Like think about, does this actually feel like I would voice this? Is this something I can relate to? Is this something I even support really? You know, because well, there's a lot out there that people could be reading and, and not all of the scripts in the world will be the right fit for every actor that comes into the, the audition room, right? So they have to be a little bit, I guess, introspective in that way. 
Yes, and I think it eventually leads to more success because when you do the things that are authentically yours, you do them better, you get called back, and when you turn away the things that are not going to be so strongly yours, you don't weaken your overall overall portfolio. Mm-hmm, that's true. And and on that vein, I know there are a lot of actors probably listening, but we do encourage them to think like an agent. So if you're an actor, then you have to be thinking, you know, um, would my agent send me out for this? If I had one, maybe you don't have one, but you need to think like one, even if you don't. So will this make me, you know, like if I were my own agent, would I send me? I guess that's the bottom line, right? Because if you were the agent and you wouldn't send you, you shouldn't be auditioning for it. It's just that simple, right? But you do need to have that connection and, and having connection with the script, with the character, creating a backstory in your mind, kind of using all the clues that you've been given along the way, because you will be given clues, then you can come to that kind of, place where you feel that you're prepared this is the right fit for me and you can bring that emotional side but also that more cerebral side to have a more balanced performance right perfectly said so we've talked a lot about kind of just getting into the character and understanding if something is right for us but I think I want to go back to words because words are so very powerful and as we know that words can sometimes mask something you know we can we might say a word that we don't really mean and our voice may betray us but there are other instances where just even the word choice itself can have a dramatic effect on the listener or on the person who's speaking it so um, at some point I came across this wonderful quote it was through a song actually uh, this recording artist Toby Mac he has a song called Speak Life and and I love that song and I you know it was an anthem for me for a little while but but at any rate you know he went and he found this wonderful quote and it comes from Brennan Manning and what he said that in every encounter we either give life or we drain it. There is no neutral exchange. That's just, I mean, there's a lot of weight there. A lot. And I think it's true. And uh, it probably comes back to the breath, that inspiration, our ability to take that in in a way that is fully nurturing, fully releasing, fully accepting of that life force. And then the ability to put back, to put that back into the world with our truth and with our heart and with our wisdom. And that's a training. That's a something that we can learn how to do. And then if life starts to take over, if we start to get too frantic, We can think we're putting into life, but we're actually draining life because we're needing too much from it in too big a hurry or something. And if we can just breathe and allow, then instead of thinking about everything we have to do or get, we can just think about what the moment wants. So I can listen to you and just try to understand you rather than listening to you thinking about how I'm going to respond. (laughs) I think a lot of people listen, you know, for the sole purpose of knowing what they're going to say next. And I know I do that a lot. (laughs) And and we think of that as being on the giving end of things, Mm. right? Of, Of putting into life and filling it up. But in a way, our presence is what really, really gives. And our faith in that life that's there and in the meeting and in what wants to come between us. And so I think in a lot of these jobs, in our 
relationships, whether it's professionally or personally, what we're wanting is is what we didn't know was going to happen, but what is so true between us. And when when we cultivate that, I think then whether we're doing a commercial spot or reading a book or doing a show or having a business meeting, that possibility for true sparkle and creativity and awesome things to happen is just there. And it all does come back to the breath, though, doesn't it? Because if we are unable to breathe, then we can't support anything. The, the phonation suffers. Uh, just wondering what you can share with us about just breath and, and why it is so very important. Breath is one of those miracles uh, to me. It's completely autonomic. We don't control it, thank goodness. <laughs> and... Um, Yet we can do so much that interferes with us, with the breath and with our aliveness. So if the physical body is depleted, we'll tend to sort of collapse. And then our breath will go about as low as the clavicular bones. It just gets stopped. And if we are um, spending beyond what is really natural or healthy for us, the breath will start to become stressed and labored and we'll be gasping for it. And there are all these places in between. But if we're just sort of aligned and open, then oxygen goes in, carbon dioxide goes out. It just is the natural property of gases to equalize. And only if we are efforting greatly do we have to help it out. But it'll just be there. The point is the structure of our body has to be erect, aligned, and open. Otherwise, we're compensating. So every emotion that affects us, whether it's puffing us up or collapsing us, our physical state of being, what we're thinking, what we believe, all of those things are going to start to affect the breath. So if I'm angry, I'm going to start to have stronger exhales. I'm going to be spitting my words and doing all of those things. And we have that wonderful expression, take a breath and count to 10. <laughs> and what that does is actually as you slow your breathing, your respiratory rate slows, your heart rate slows, you stop producing cortisol and all of that, and you start producing positive endorphins. And so it's not just that you sound less angry, you are less angry. And those same things kick in with other feelings and so on. So just by being able to change your breath, you can affect all of these other things. And then if you start to change the voice with it, it's amplified. Yeah, and amplification is, is pretty big. For, for most performers, you do want to know how to control your voice, the volume, the pitch, the everything about it. Um, just thinking, because we're just, you know, a stone's throw from the Stratford Festival. Like, for instance, if you work there and you're an actor, then you have to project all the way to the back of the stage and, and into the audience. I mean, um, that's a lot of work. You know, that takes work. Or an opera singer, this sort of thing. But when you are doing a performance that is more intimate, like a voiceover, like essentially we're podcasting right now. So we're both sitting here with a microphone in front of us, a little pop filter, all that. Um, there's maybe a different way to, to budget that breath or to use it, especially if you're seated as opposed to standing. So um, how can we maybe make the most of our breath uh, for, for those who, who would like to do that? It's a beautiful question. So the vocal cords are real, real tiny, 
and they pace the air and our thoughts and our feelings. And uh, they did a study back in the 70s where they measured lung capacity, and they thought that the singers with the greatest lung capacity would be able to do the longest phrases. And they found, in fact, there was no correlation whatsoever that the ability to do a long phrase was the ability to pace the breath, and it actually doesn't take very much breath to sing or speak. And what creates volume is resonance, not force. So if you want your sound to be more, to travel into the house, what you need is for it to be acoustically efficient. So it needs a full complement of overtones. So if I'm speaking to you here, I'm not going to put all of that resonance in it. But if it, I was in a full house, it would be a thing of filling the trachea, the bronchial tubes, the face, the head. I would just be vibrating with the resonance, not so much with force, but just full of the sound. And it would put all of these things that make it travel. If I'm in a more intimate situation, I would still want a complete sound. And I would still want that resonance to be everywhere, but it just would be just less. It's, so it's, um, it's more the intention that you have that determines those things than a, f a force. The power comes from accessing things with precision rather than from excess muscle. Mm-hmm. I like that you said it's more about the intention behind maybe what's being said as opposed to, you know, just how much lung capacity you have or like how, how loud you're trying to be, frankly. And when you're doing voiceover, you don't want to do that. Um, you know, obviously mm -hmm. there's there's kind of a, a way to use your voice that you don't abuse it, that you're uh, coming across in a way that is safe and, you know, the right proximity to the microphone, all of these wonderful things. But if we haven't mastered our breath, right? And then there's the possibility for physical tension to kind of creep in. And I know because as a singer, my background is in voice. Uh, I know what it is to feel like you have tension living somewhere. You know, usually it's in the neck or it's in the, maybe in your hands. You get like a little claw going on there. But uh, I know that in a book that you had written just recently, you did have a great example of a singer who was in your studio who was having really hard time hitting some high notes. Maybe tell us about that. Yes. Um, she, she just could not get through to the top of her voice, and my feet were killing me. And so just on a whim, I asked her to take her shoes off. <laughs> and when she went for the high note, she gripped and curled her toes. And I said, so what did you feel in your feet that time? Oh, nothing, she said. So I finally took her and stood her in front of a full-length mirror and asked her to watch her feet. And she was absolutely stunned when she saw that. And as soon as she stopped gripping her feet, her high notes came out because that was causing tension in the legs, causing tension in the lower body, making it impossible for her to get a good breath and causing her to grip in her neck. It just set off a whole chain of tension. And once her feet were released on the floor, her voice was free to function. That's amazing. Well, if physicality is so very important to doing voice work at all. Like, just because you're not seeing someone on camera doesn't mean that they still are using their entire body to do this. Like, any vocalist would know that it literally is 
your entire body. Your instrument is your body. It's not a violin. You can't just pack it up in a case and carry it around and kind of shield it. Like you really have to be careful and you have to be very uh, just focused on what you're doing and grounded in what you're doing. And another thing I just thought of, uh, salespeople who do cold calling on phones always keep a mirror beside the phone so they can remind themselves to smile. We hear a smile in the voice. Even those small things in the body will make a big difference. Yeah, they could make or break a deal, but but it also comes across as being friendlier. And maybe, uh, you know, if you have an actor who is reading from the script and they've got a smile on their face, all of a sudden there's this different color that comes in. Absolutely. And that could completely affect their read. It'll maybe change the entire tone of that piece. And the other uh, point it occurred to me to make when we were talking about the projecting and all of that, if you don't in a quiet way, let's say I'm reading a 250-page book, if I'm not bringing all of that physical energy and support, my voice will be very fatigued from reading for an hour or two if I'm not using the same musculature and energy that I would in a big hall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I guess you have to know your setting as well as just your instrument. You have to mm-hmm. know how it works. And and uh, some actors can get away with drinking milk before they go on stage, you know, for, for their voice work. And, and some say, no, no dairy, none at all. Uh, I think we really just have to be in tune with what our own body is telling us. Absolutely. But also when someone is casting, as they are listening and they're experiencing whatever that read is, whatever they're being drawn into that world that the actor has created for the time being, they have to think, you know, are they suspending my disbelief? Do I trust them? Do I see myself in the setting? Or am, or is this maybe falling in and out of authenticity? Is, is this, a, you know, the person doing the voiceover, maybe their character is, is dropping in and out. Or if it's an accent and they're not a native speaker, then you will hear what, what the uh, result of that can be, right? We've seen enough movies with some Hollywood stars who will remain nameless, who, you know, in those roles, sometimes they they don't quite stay on message. And so far as the role they're portraying, it's really easy that uh, to lose an audience, you know. And so when someone is listening to an audition, or maybe they're in a, a actual live casting session in person, then you need to be watching for that. Like, can this person carry this all the way through? Uh, do I actually feel moved, as you had said earlier, by what their performance is? It isn't just giving me information, it's making me feel something. Yes. We'll think about the information. If we feel motivated, we'll go out and do something about it. Well, thank you for being on the show, Jocelyn. It was my pleasure, Stephanie. It was really fun to be here with you today. Oh, and we're going to put this in the show notes. Don't worry, everybody. But but where can people learn more about you and your book? At meanttobeheard.com. Fabulous. Thank you for tuning in. And if you haven't already done so, I'd like to invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, as well as give us a rating. We love hearing from you and gathering your feedback. Once again, I'm your host, Stephanie Cicerelli, and I hope you can join us for our next Sound Stories podcast.